You know, it's something to be uh, said if somebody says that they feel like they're, um, that in their eyes, you're a spiritual father. It's also an incredible honor to, to receive that, but also to say that um, Ross and Amy are spiritual sons and daughters of ours, and that we have walked a journey with them, they've walked a journey with us, just like these parents are going to be doing with their kids. And, um, and you, you go through all the ups and downs, and you, you have the highs and the lows and the triumphs and the sorrows together. And that's the journey, and we count it such an absolute pleasure to call you friends and brothers. We love them. I know you tolerate them, but we love them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask my wife to come up. This is my wife, Marion. Um, she's my first wife. And... Uh, <clears throat> uh, and uh, hopefully the last. And uh, it's been 34 years, and she's going to read to us scripture. And when she does this, I'm going to ask you, you know, God's word needs to have a real place of honor and authority in our lives. So in just respect to God's word, would you stand and listen? Okay, I'm reading from Romans 6 starting in verse 12 from the message. It says, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So since you're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts, sorry, there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. <clears throat> Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. Mm. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different it is now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed and expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Mm. Where did it get you? 
a dead end. But now that you've found, you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you what a surprise. A healed, a whole healed, put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Awesome. You may be seated. I want to begin by sharing a story. By the way, I love your new digs. The last, this is uh, all new for me, and this is really cool. I, I, if you're new uh, uh, to this deal, um, there's been such a, a wonderful remodel, and well done to all of you. It's really exciting. Since the last time I saw you, Marin and I have now stepped into a new realm of life. We are grandparents. Yes, it's so great. And I know you're sitting there going, my gosh, he looks great for a grandfather. Anyway, um, it's okay. We'll talk later. Um, I have plenty to tell you about that. Um, 2004, I was, I was summoned from my office. I was on staff at DHS um, just right up the road. And, uh, and I was a counselor at DHS and uh, my young protege said, there's a guy in your office, a student, and he is in an absolute mess. You need to come right now. So I went back to my office and, um, and I found this young man with his hands holding his face and bowed on this, on this chair, just kind of going up and down. And I mean, he was in a state. And literally for about 30 to 40 minutes, I kept trying to engage him, kept trying to talk to him, kept trying to draw something out so that I could help him. He wouldn't speak, and all he kept doing was this just sort of this, this rhythmic bobbing and weaving and never opening his eyes and holding his hands over his face. I knew with 20 plus years of youth ministry experience that I was dealing with some kind of an abuse situation. I mean, I just knew that I knew that whatever this abuse was, this young man was heaped in guilt and shame, whether it was physical, whether it was verbal, or even sexual in nature. I knew that abuse had put him into this place and this moment that I'm going to share with you actually is highlighting what Marion just read of going from a journey of slavery in sin to freedom in Christ. This young man was in true darkness of slavery. And in the course of an hour, a miracle took place where he literally went from that slavery to the joyful freedom that is found only in Christ Jesus. 
40 minutes in, I am not connecting. I don't know what to do. I'm trying my best, and I'm about ready to pick up the phone to say, we need to take this young man to the hospital. We need, he needs, he needs care that is above and beyond my own personal expertise. I was at that place. Before I picked up the phone, the Spirit of God dialed into my life. And he said, you have everything that this young man needs. Tell him about the freedom that I can give him. True story. Pray for him. And I'm thinking in my head as I'm having this conversation with with the Spirit of God and this kid literally sitting on a chair, bobbing and weaving in the corner of my office, and I'm thinking, do I really believe? Do I really believe that God's power can literally change this man's life? I I believed it for myself, but this, this kid is in a serious state. So... I then said to him, whose name shall be remain, it will remain name, um, I, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Nameless is what I think I was searching for. I said, do you mind if I pray for you? First time, he stops. He doesn't lift his hands away, but I see his eyes. He asked me the question, why do you want to pray? Why would you want to pray for me? And I said, and I called him by name, when I don't have the answers to anything, I go to the one who has all the answers. When I feel absolutely powerless to help somebody, I go to the one who can help. His hands came down. Who is that? This young Indian boy, grade 11, brilliant, clever. Who is that? And in the next 15 to 20 minutes, I just simply shared the the story, the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do and how he came to set us. How he came to set us. Do you believe that? And when I got done, he literally, his whole life, he was up, he was standing, he goes... It, it, it was this beautiful desperation. I want that. And I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome. I'm going to get fired um, <laughs> because you're not allowed to kind of do this in a counseling situation. But I'm thinking, if I'm going to get fired for telling somebody the truth of the gospel, so be it. And so I prayed with him, and he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he in that moment, truly, I can't even tell you, I can't even describe it, I do have a witness, my young protege, Mtoko, which I believe in Zulu means Emmanuel, who we called Manny, 
I called him in. And he looks at this kid who he saw at one point was in an absolute fetal position in the corner of my office, standing, beaming. Literally, I can't even describe it. He was physically radiant. I have never seen it before. I have I've shared the gospel with thousands, but I have never seen somebody's face glowing. And Manny comes in and he looks at him, he goes, what did you do? Now, Manny was a believer, and I said, I said, Manny, this is our new little brother in Christ. And Manny's like, and he grabs him and picks him up, and we celebrate. What that moment describes, hopefully for you, is the parallel for any person coming to faith in Jesus. It's the parallel of you and I going from the the oppression of slavery to sin that was controlling us to the freedom that we have in Christ that releases us from sin, from death, into new life and life eternal. That's what Paul is talking about in chapter six of Romans. That's the journey that we're on. That's the journey that you and I have come from or, and are now living in. And there are some people in this room who you're coming in here today and you're exploring where, where all of us had to be at one point. We were all explorers. You're coming in and you're exploring. You're coming to kick the tires to see, is this thing, the Christian faith, worthwhile? Is Jesus who he says he is? So keep coming and keep exploring because I'm going to tell you when you explore this as you get into it and then cross over the line of faith and now like me and many people in this room are now experiencing, we're experiencing the freedom from something that had a grip upon our lives that was going to end in death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God forever. Now we are moved into a new realm of freedom of life to live now, but also for all eternity. That's the journey. And Paul asks a series of questions throughout Romans chapter 6 that is kind of summing up this new life, and he's asking his audience, the Roman church, why would you, who have been set free, want to go back to that? Why, if you and I were set free from that old tyranny of sin, what would cause you to want to return to it? Go back to the to, to my first story. The, how ridiculous would it be? By the way, again, this is why I am not giving his name. It was one of the worst cases of abuse I have ever, ever, ever been a part of. He was being trafficked by his own stepfather. 
physically and sexually and emotionally abused, drugged, you, it was awful. So, if we got him out of that situation, moved him into uh, to live with his stepmom and his real father, and, and got him out of that situation, and he's now been freed through the, through the power of the gospel, and he's living in this freedom, how ridiculous would it be for him to say, you know what, I want to go back and live with my mother and stepfather. And I want to go back to that life. You would go, that's absurd, that's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. And that's what Paul is saying in this chapter. Why would we ever want to go back there? And I'm gonna give you a couple big reasons why we have a tendency to return. And I'm gonna highlight it in the scriptures And we're going to look at case study, and the case study is the people of Israel. Why why they, who were released from slavery and delivered out of it with Moses from slavery under the Egyptian Pharaoh who who was oppressing them for about four centuries... They are now free. They're now walking in the presence of this freedom. They're now living in the presence of God. They're on their journey in the wilderness to the promised land. And yet, time and time again, they go, let's go back. What would create that that twisted Understanding of why you want to go back, why to return, why would you want to go back to an oppressive life? I put it to you that there are a couple big reasons. One is a mindset, and two, there's actually an impatience. Mindset. Let me, let me share with you the mindset. The mindset that I'm talking about is a mindset, it's a prison mentality. Prison mentality. Do you know when people oftentimes who are released from prison and if they've served a long time in, in, in an incarcerated situation, they can't handle their freedom. You would think that they, they, wouldn't, they, they couldn't wait to, to get out. But once they get out, they, they, they don't know what to do with all of the freedom because there's such an expanse of, of just choices and all, options and alternatives. They've been in a confining situation where their entire environment was controlled. They didn't have any say on when they, where and when and what to do. They were told it. And now they're living in this freedom and they don't know what to do. They can't cope with the freedom. Dr. Edie, Edith Eager, she, she wrote the book, The Choice. She herself is in her 90s and she was a survivor of Auschwitz, a Nazi concentration camp 
She watched her mom and dad go into one line and they never came out of that building. And she and her sister survived years at Auschwitz. There's a phenomenon that actually happened when the Allied forces liberated these people in concentration camp. It wasn't just the Jews. There were many other people who were under this abusive situation. When they were liberated, the gates were open, the guards were long gone, and they could leave. They went... And they actually returned to their barracks and sat on their beds. This phenomenon, because they couldn't cope with the freedom. They didn't know how to go forward. They didn't know what it was going to be like. And part of the prison mindset is, this has become familiar to me. That's the old life of sin. I'm going, this is what's familiar to me over here. To go forward in faith in Christ, that's new. It's unseen. This is seen. This is visible. I know it, and I'm used to it. That's a prison mindset. And there are some of you today who are here, and you're still living and operating in a prison mindset. In fact, I would say, I would hazard a guess that Maybe even all of us have some residual things where we, we, have, we go back to old patterns, old ways of thinking, old behaviors. It's those vestiges of the prison mindset of the slavery that we're just used to. We're used to operate. It's our operating system. It's that mindset that pulls us in and, and why Paul is so passionate and why I'm so passionate about what I'm sharing with you is that old tyranny bullies us. Sin bullied you and me. It like, it's like that student at DHS. It bullied us into the corner. And then it belittled us. That's what sin does. And it leaves us bankrupt. Bullied, belittled, and bankrupt. That's the end result of what sin will bring. Ultimately, debt and death. It's not a pretty picture. So why in the world would we want to keep going back to it? Paul says this. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does this mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. We've been set free. And it's ridiculous to go back to those old ways. So the mindset is, is actually learning to live in this new freedom, which means you are now making choices in conjunction with your new life of freedom, not your old patterns of sin. So in her book, The Choice, Dr. Eager says this, 
she, she, she becomes a psychologist. And she said, you know, I was a survivor of Auschwitz, but my journey really began after I got freed. Because I was living as a victim throughout my years that had happened with that trauma of that concentration camp. It just traveled with her. And she said that I had to learn to make choices. She actually gets her PhD in, in clinical psychology. And she says, I believe in choice psychology. Making the choices to leave my past, to leave that thought, that prison victim mentality behind so that I can live in the new freedom and the joyful choices that I have in waiting in front of me. In other words, she's saying, if I'm going to make choices, I don't want to make choices that are based on my past. I want to make choices that move me into, from the present to the future in joy. And that's what Paul is basically saying. I would say Paul has choice psychology. God has choice psychology. I'm quoting my wife on this one, by the way. Because she just preached it last week in a different message. God is saying, you've got a choice. I've opened up this expansive life of freedom for you. Why are you choosing to go back and live like a victim? Listen, I, I can just cite hundreds of examples. I'll give you one. We have every Sunday, it's an incredible thing. We have probably about 20 men who come just down the road together and they're all at a drug rehab and they come to our church. And, and just this past Friday night, we had a special celebration because our our, our, our space is not big enough for all thousand of us to meet. So we, we went to a different venue on Friday night and three of these men got baptized. If you want to talk about somebody who knows the confinement and the slavery of sin, talk to somebody who's an addict. They weren't living in freedom. See, here's, here's the last thing I'm going to say about prison mindset and this, this, this wanting to live in the old life. See, if you're exploring the Christian faith, and when you say exploring, when I say exploring, I'm saying you're looking at Jesus, okay? When you look at Jesus and you think, gosh, if I jump into a relationship with Jesus, what am I going to lose? You ever been there? What do I have to give up? I worked with teenagers like, yeah, Jesus makes sense. I want my sins forgiven. But man, that'll mean I'm going to have to give up some, some of the things that I like doing. So it means like to be a Christian, that just means like Debbie Downer, party pooper. I can't do that. Because they think that sin offers fun does on the surface, but down below, it is a recipe for death. And it is a recipe for confinement. Sin puts you into the corner like that, 
that, that student in DHS and put you into the fetal position. And the reality is sin tells you that it's so wide open and there's so many doors. It's actually the most confining thing. And then sin lies to you and says that God's freedom is so restrictive when it is open doors. Yes, there's parameters, but those parameters are for our protection. And there is so much freedom to live in grace. And we choose confinement. We need to set ourselves free from this prison mindset. The second thing that I want to share with you is impatience. And I'm going to share with you quickly, because I know I'm supposed to be wrapping up here like I care. (laughs) The Israelites could not shake this mentality, and it comes out in in a mindset and in impatience. Exodus 14, 11. This is what they say to Moses. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in this wilderness? See, they could not shake this prison mindset, this mentality, because they were dominated by fear, because the old tyranny of sin dominates you and I by fear. People who are still living without Christ their lives are absolutely dominated by fear. I, can, I, could, I could literally just run down the list of your choices that you make. And I will say, ultimately, that many, if not all of them, actually have their root in fear. But when Christ sets you free, your, your choices now are based in faith, not fear. So they have a mentality that says fear brings the, the worst case scenario and they are seeing their wilderness experience as a death experience. That's what fear does. Second one, Exodus 16, three. Would that we died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us into this wilderness to die. Fear brings a poverty mindset of provision. As an American living in this country, for a cumulative time frame of 12 years, can I just tell you the dominant thought in the minds of South Africans whatever your skin color and ethnic background is, we're going down. Our economy sucks. That's fear. And that's a prison mindset. And Christians are to be the ones standing up. No, by faith. By faith, God has got us. By faith, God has got this country. By faith, God set us free in 1994. And we live in this freedom, but we're actually enslaved to our, free, our fear, to the old mindset. And so we just think it's all going south. And God's going, no, it's all going north. And he's calling you and I to stand up in that. 
Exodus 17, three, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children and our livestock? Fear brings a language of accusation. They're corrupt. They don't care. We're going down. Our cricket team stinks. <laughs> they ended strong. Fear, distrust. So, and then the last one, where they're, God is calling them to go into the promised land, and they refuse to go. Because you know why? Fear will take you back. Faith will take you forward. Fear distrusts a holy God to take you forward and exchanges it, and they ask for a leader. They say, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Let us choose a leader and go back. Here's let me end. Resurrection has canceled, has canceled, has wiped out, destroyed not only your life of sin and mine and the tyranny that it had, that it bullied us, belittled us, and bankrupted us, and it has canceled that mindset of fear, and it replaced it with a confident faith in God. And who is that God? Do you know how many times in Scripture God has an all before him? Almighty, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. That's the God who's taken you forward. That's the God who delivered you. He's not a partially powerful God. He's not a somewhat loving God. He's not a intermittent present God. He's all, 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 and that's the God who's delivered you and I from that state to freedom, from slavery to freedom, from death to life, from sin to righteousness. Let us move forward in faith with him. And if some of you are locked into a prison mindset, today is the day you can be free just like that young man. So stand up and let me pray for you. So I would love for you to bow your heads. I saw soldiers of Christ pull up. Man, are they freaking cool. When I grow up, I want to be one of them. We have a bunch of guys in our church. In fact, Craig Taylor leads Soldiers for Christ, I think, in Halting. And they're doing this all over the place. They're interacting with people. And they're, they're, they're sharing the message of freedom. They're just doing it on the back of a bike, which is really cool. But you don't have to be on the back of a bike. You could be a counselor at a school in an office. So I have two challenges and they're big, and I mean it, because I'm getting old, which means I'm gonna die soon. I know that. Ross reminds me all the time. Every time he calls me, he goes, how you doing, old man? It's like, I remember when you were nothing. Anyway, um, 
What a punk. A lovable one, but a punk. I got two things to share with you. If you're still that person like that student and you're living and you're looking for a life of what real freedom is, you need to look no further than Jesus. I mean it. You need to be unlocked because you literally are living in a prison mindset and dominated by fear. And it really actually taints the way you see life, see relationships, see your future, see your finances. It absolutely clouds your vision. And you think you're living in freedom, but when you're living in the corner in a fetal position spiritually. So would you bow your heads for those people in this room today? Just like 1994, today is your liberation day. And you could be set free. And not just free for a moment, not just free for Sunday morning, but free for an eternity. The death and sin will no longer bully you, not only in this life, but for all eternity. You will be set free from that. Jesus, the all-powerful Savior of the world, punched the bully right in the face and knocked his teeth out. I love it. If you think my Savior was some mamby-pamby wuss, he wasn't. He went straight to the cross, and he had your sin, your fear, all of that mindset nailed to his body. That's not just a man's man. That's the Savior of the world. Father, in this room today, I know that there are people who are saying, today's the day. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, and it, it's not a radical, it, it's not a, it's not, we're not gonna ask you to come forward, we're not gonna ask you to just do, it's just simply, do you believe in your heart and will you confess in, with your lips that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life? If so, would you put your hand up and let me pray for you? Awesome, wow. Awesome, great, awesome. Put your hands down. Friends, we've got new brothers and sisters who are gonna be with us for all eternity right now, and you need to put your hands together. And you've been set free. And for the rest of us who've been set free, and those of you who've just been set free, now is the time that you, in your freedom, tell other people. If you're afraid to tell people this message, that's a prison mindset. You're still, oh, I just don't know enough. I don't know enough scripture. What if they ask me the wrong, a question I can't answer? They probably will. Who cares? Just share the message. Life is short. It's not about you having the best argument. It's about whether you're going to love somebody into the arms of Jesus. So will you, if you want to recommit yourself to being a man or woman who's in this freedom of Christ, and you want to recommit yourself to sharing this message powerfully, and I know that there's somebody in your mind and in your life right now that's coming, and you're going, I need to do that. Don't waste another moment. Do it. And if that's you, would you put your hands up? I'm going to pray for you. Awesome. Awesome. 
Put those hands down. Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters. And I thank you that they're saying, yep, let my lips count for freedom. Let my heart speak the truth. And let people's lives hear the message. You do the work. I'm just the messenger. And may you set this church on fire to share this message in this city. And all God's people said,